You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for pressing play. We are in episode number 15 today, and we have a great episode for you. I want to begin this episode by saying thank you again. We have some new ratings and reviews on iTunes. And guys, this really makes a a big difference. So that's why I want to take the time to say thank you. We had dropped all the way down to 20 in the rankings. And because of these extra ratings and reviews, we're now back to number two. And the reason why that's such a big deal to me right now is because when you first log on to the page, if you're in the top 10, then you're able to be seen on the computer screen. If you're in if you're in the top three on a mobile device, you're able to be seen. If you drop below three, you're not able to be seen. So I I know how important it is to be visible and I would like for the show to be discovered. So that happens by being physically visible and it happens by you guys passing the word on if you like what you hear which you press play so thank you for that i know that means you're enjoying the show and so with that said i want to go ahead and read these reviews as a way of saying thank you so we have one right here from randall watson that says this podcast series is very well put together love the selection of artists so far and thank you randall for the rating thank you so much And we have another one here that says, Chris Davis has created a really wonderful and tangible resource for those seeking a career in music. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for that rating as well. Uh, The name left here is a combination of things, but I really believe this is Casey Fitzpatrick. And I want to say thank you for that rating, Casey. Thank you so much. Next. One more thing before we get to the content for today. I need your questions and answers because I would like to do a question and answer show. So there are two ways that I'm suggesting that you do that. Number one, go to BehindTheNote.com. In the margin, you'll see on the right-hand side a place where it says, send a voicemail. You can leave me a voicemail right there. If you choose to do that, you can also automatically have advertisement for yourself because I'm going to play your question live on the air and you can say this is Joe Smith from joesmith.com and when people hear that if they're interested they'll go to your website so please leave a question there on the website the second option is to go on Twitter I have a handle at behind the note no s behind the note singular so go there I'll read your question live on the podcast Thank you so much for that. Want to get that question and answer episode going. I think that will be very valuable for everyone. And now it's time for the content of the day. I have a great guest for you today. He's actually a personal friend of mine, and I've had the privilege of working with him in the past. He's on my new CD. He's on my new CD that's coming out. More about that in the future. This guy is a great person. You're going to hear that for yourself. He's traveled many places over the world. He's worked with such artists as T-Pain and Lauryn Hill, just to name a couple. He's also a very great P 
pianist in his own right. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you today, Will Dellisfort. Thank you, Will, <laughs> so much for joining us on the show today. We're glad to have you. Hey, man, it's my pleasure, man. Happy to be here. Well, I want to get into this interview by allowing people to get to know you a little bit. So will you tell us where you're from and where did you spend your childhood? Um, well, born and raised in uh, Little Haiti, Miami. Um, basically just spent the first 18 years of my life there. Um, family's from Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and then my dad wanted to have a better life for him and his, all his kids. There's eight of us. I'm the last of eight. Uh, all in the bottom. And, um, but he decided to come out here, move moved to Miami, which all the, uh, the Haitian immigrants were living in just one section they called, now they're trying to call it the art district, but it's, it's forever will be known as Little Haiti. Um, and it's been there all my life. Um, well, since I was 18, then, you know, got to college and moved to Tallahassee, DeKalb, now New York, and gigged all over, so... Were your parents musicians, or did you have musicians in your family that influenced you? No, no I'm, I'm actually the the first uh, first musician in my family. I uh, just found I had a cousin that plays trombone, um, but I don't know if he's still playing. And um, my wife's a pianist, so hopefully my son will be a pianist. So got my fingers crossed on that one. Oh man, your son's going to play music for sure. Yeah, you know, either that or he tells me he's going to be an accountant or something like that. You know, uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I have I have two sons. They're uh, one year old and and two year old, yeah, and great. they that's both great. are oozing music out of their blood right now. Oh so, man, that's beautiful! It's the environment, man. They're going to be better than us. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you start playing piano? Uh, I started at the age of when I was ten. Which is apparently uh, pretty late, because all my friends uh, that I met that were also playing music started like a lot earlier, maybe three years old or something. But when I was three, I don't know, I, I was just, I don't, I don't eating and running around. <laughs> I don't think I had the uh, the discipline to sit down and try to play music. But I, I started at the age of ten. Um, my brother was in middle school by then, and I was still in elementary school. And I was bored, so I was trying to find something to do. And I found a flyer on the school bulletin board. It was like piano lesson at Chatelon Elementary for five dollars uh, a week. <laughs> you know, so I asked my pops. I thought he was gonna say no, but he was like five dollars. Yeah, so <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you know, I took it and ended up liking it. I turned out to be. Uh, I picked up on it pretty quickly, quicker than I did anything else. Um, and then I was offered to go to school at Jew Elementary in Miami, which was, you know, first kids, it was like the Juilliard of, of, of kids in Miami, so, uh, for, for kids, so it was just like, well, you know, I was like, yeah, I would love to go, and once I got to Jew Elementary and started studying with John McMinn, that's when it was just kind of like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So that was about 10, 11 at 10 years old, you decided you wanted to play for the rest of your life. Yeah, it was it was too much fun. And like my first one of my first gigs was in the Bahamas. So it was just like, well, I get to go to the Bahamas. I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. Oh, OK, hold on. So what what, what was it about the experience that made you feel that way? Uh, even like before you went to the Bahamas? 
Well, um, it's, it was just complete bliss, you know, just just 100%, 200% happiness. I, I love doing it. Um, I even love theory, you know. Most musicians don't like theory when they go to school, but uh, I, I love... I loved everything about it, just playing music and, and the sound and learning songs that I'm hearing on the radio. Um, now, although my parents weren't musicians, my, my father, like, as a child, he always had music playing in the house, you know, um, uh, compa music, uh, Haitian jazz just being played every night, all night, you know. So I guess, you know, hearing that and being able to play it and then going to church and starting to see how music was involved in every single aspect of life. Um, prior to learning how to play piano, I would go to church. I, I remember going to church as a kid, and, and I would just look for a peppermint in my mom's purse and, and try to go to sleep. You know, then you get, you get tapped, wake up, boy, and I would get up like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know those. I remember those days, man. You oh, know, man. You had those church peppermints, man. It was a good peppermint. Uh, they good, aren't they? But, you know, once I started learning how to play music, then I started seeing how it was involved in church and how it was involved in... Um, the way people spoke, the way people, how you would come to school excited when there was a new cassette tape single that was just released, you know, by TLC or Boyz II Men or something like that. So it was, I just loved it, you know, and it was involved in everything that I did. All my friends love music. You, you can't take two steps without listening to any, any music anywhere around the world. So, and this is what I was doing, you know, this is what I was doing for, for fun. So. I had to do it for the rest of my life. So you said you would do it for the rest of your life, but was there a moment when you decided that you were you would become professional and and use music as a career? That that moment was during during my my uh, my time while I was at Jewel Elementary School um, with John John McMinn um, because he he basically showed us the potential of, of making a living of it. You know, he was like, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. He, he told it from the get go. It's this, you know, you're not promised anything. Uh, you can work as hard as you want to and you won't be promised anything. But um, I guess I can say this now because he's not, he's not working there anymore. But there were times when we were, you know, I'll be in, in Ms. Johnson and Ms. Jackson class and, and he'll walk by the room. He's like, well, what, what are you doing right now? I said, uh, well, we're about to do English. You know, he said, oh, you want to go to Miami Beach? We got a gig, you know, and I'm like, well, 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 yeah, you know. That's funny. <laughs> you know, and uh, it'd be my way of, of, you know, I still do my homework and all that, but it was just that that experience, you know, going and playing and seeing how people want, how people enjoy it. And then we would do road shows with the school to, you know, to be honest, I guess Joe Elementary was, was an, an early insight on how to do this professionally because that's what they they basically trained us to do uh we had our road shows we had our tours that we would do and this is like fourth grade between the fourth and sixth grade that we're doing this um you know being on time and being prepared is it we were doing it already so it was kind of like you know why not get paid to do this and try to live a good life and then you also have the other musicians that are, are artists in the world that are releasing songs and, and you see how wealthy they're becoming, how successful they're becoming. You want to experience that, you know, but on a more, I guess, an instrumental level, it, so I, yeah, I guess my experience of school is really the, 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 
the turning point that made me say that I want to do this for the rest of my life, do this for a living, you know. Because um, till this day, it still doesn't feel like a job. It feels like I have the greatest hobby on earth. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. And I'm pretty, I'm surprised uh, at your decision at such a young age. At the same time, that explains a lot. <laughs> that explains a lot to, because I heard you play, so I, I know how good you are. And that explains your greatness in, in a sense. Wow, that's really amazing to me. So I want to ask you something else. Okay, in your opinion, when did you, when did your playing start to transition from an intermediate level to a professional level of performance? Um, when did that happen? Definitely when I got to college. Uh, when I when when I got to when I while I was in high school uh, at Northwestern Senior High School, um, uh, Christopher Dorsey was our band director, and he had us, you know, doing IAJE, doing Midwest Band Club, doing all these big competitions, and and you know, you realize that, well, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to step it up because now you're no longer a kid, you know. You're no longer a, a, a cute 10, 11-year-old kid playing music. Now you're 18. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, well, this is real life. Um, and I had we had great musicians that I got to play with for four years in high school. Um, a lot of guys that I, that I looked, looked up to uh, playing, and I was like, man, I got to learn how to do that. Corey Irvin. Also down in Miami, he's uh, he should yeah, he's still in Miami. Um, touring with Brian McKnight and everybody is just when I would hear Corey play, I said, like, man, I got to go ahead and do this. And got to college, the obviously the level of musicianship was was raised tremendously. At that time, when I got to college, it was just like I seen a huge step up because now I have access to a lot more musicians from around the world that plays different style of music, you know. The Atlanta-based musicians, that's a different style that those guys out there are playing. Cats from Houston, from New York, from California, uh, from Chicago. You know, I'm getting to, like, be in this environment with so many different musicians. That At that moment, um, I could definitely see the growth because now I'm learning from, from my peers, which went from 20-something people to 100-and-something, you know, in the city that I was living in. Then you got the musicians that are in Jacksonville that I'm driving to, the musicians that are in Atlanta, you know, those local musicians. So um, definitely when I got to my freshman year at FAMU, um, having to travel and having uh, more access to a lot of people that I didn't have access to, um, like Marcus Roberts, you know, working at Florida State in the city of Tallahassee. Um, I didn't have access to, to someone like Marcus while I was in Miami, because it just really wasn't in Miami. Then who else was around? Um, Von Free, uh, Von Barlow, in um, Jacksonville, who played with, you know, Ray Brown, everybody. Uh, Calvin Newborn, you know, Phoenix Newborn Jr.'s uh, brother. You know, having access to the access to these guys, that's when I definitely seen the growth in like okay, now up to the next step. Let's see if I can make it to the next level and keep moving on. You know. So the the reason for your growth, I'm just trying to summarize here. The reason for your growth was being around multiple musicians, musicians that played different styles of music that had a different ability level than you. And being in that environment made you see what was possible, and that gave you something to work toward. Is that accurate? 
That's 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 right on the head. Perfect. So I just want to know, tell us about your practice habits as, at, at college while you were in that environment. What were your practice habits at that time? Well, well, while I was during those times, uh, because, you know, you, you're going to get your best rehearsal and practice time while you're in school. Once you get out of school, uh, life doesn't really give you that much time to do so. But at that time, um, it, was, it was always in the regiment. I would get up in the morning, uh, try to make breakfast, um, eat something. But, like, I would spend, you know, a good hour before class. If class started at 10, um, I'm warming up by 8 a.m., you know, having just doing my hand and exercise, just scales, anything I need to do to get my fingers uh, moving, just like, you know, you would on a trumpet. Because I know brass players, you guys have to do it every day. It's not a joke. <laughs> but uh, I, I get up every morning, you know, I put my time, I go to my classes, do what I need to do. If I had 30 minutes in between classes, I would always go to the music building and simply just touch the piano, you know, just... Uh, uh, hand and exercise again, anything that I need to do to keep my fingers moving. Um, by the end of the night, in, end of the day, most likely I have a gig. I'm doing a show. Um, then I go home and try to get a good night's sleep because the, the good night's sleep is the, is the biggest part. If you can, if you can take care of your body, you know, the, the music, the part, the music part of it will be a lot easier. Um, most musicians don't really do that. And, you know, you're kind of working against yourself. But uh, yeah, definitely getting up every morning and, and putting some time in. Well, you know, if it's no more than an hour, then it's no more than an hour. But definitely getting on the piano, doing some warm up, try to do it again, admit somewhere in the middle of the day, and then have my gig at night. You you touched on something really important, I think, when you talked about taking care of your body. Yeah. Because we all know that there's a certain percentage of playing that's purely mental. Yes. And then the the rest is obviously physical. Yeah, that that is that is a huge thing, you know. I mean, um, even giving yourself some hours to sleep, you know, that's that's doing your body justice. I mean, it's really important. You just it's just one of those things you just can't ignore. And if you do so, it takes years off your playing. Oh uh, yeah, didn't even think about it from that perspective. That's true. So I'm going. I'm going to actually. I have plans. Actually, I've already started working on a book uh, for for brass players that mm -hmm. demonstrates this principle of uh, the 80-20 principle. That's not a new principle, but applying mm -hmm. it to playing your instrument. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, anyway, okay, we're going to move on here. I know that right now, today, you, you live in New York. Yes. So when did you move to New York? Tell us where you moved from, and then tell us when you got to New York, and tell us about your experience when you first arrived. Well, um, prior to moving to New York, I was out and uh, getting my master's at Northern Illinois University out in DeKalb, Illinois. The the final decision to make the move, because I always wanted to come here while in undergrad in, in FAMU. We, uh, my best friend and I, we had this thing we would always do. We would always spend our spring breaks in New York because, uh, we, you know, we're both from Miami. He's from Fort Lauderdale. I'm from Miami. And everybody would always want to go to Miami for spring break. Let's go to Miami, man. Yeah, Miami. And I'm like, I was just there last week. You know, I was like, I'll be there next week. Um, so I would always say that I'm going to go to New York. And so we would all spend our spring break in New York and make friends over the years, contacts over the years. Because um, if you have a week off from work, uh, from school, and you know that this is what you want to do, music for a living, just come visit New York for just during your spring break. You know, it, to me, it makes sense. 
so after years of doing that in undergrad and grad school, I know that I, I knew that I wanted to uh, move out here. And then in 2000, we did a tour with Lou Soloff, and and it was weird because I didn't know if I was going to do the tour or not uh, due to some personal issues. And last minute, it worked out where I could do it. And the first song we play is uh, Oregon. And you know, um, get to we get to the blowing section, and it was just, I'm just getting into Gil Evans at the time, and I play this chord at the same time. Lou Soloff plays this line, and it was like we connected. I I knew it because as soon as we played, I looked at him. He looked at me, and he cut off the band, and I was like, man, did I do something wrong? And he came up to me, and he was like, so are you gonna do this for real? <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, yes, sir, I'm gonna do this, and. The following year, uh, fall 2009, I made the move, and I've been up here since fall 2009. So it's been a great five years, I believe, five or six, five, yeah. So it's been um, it's been great since you know uh, moved out here with my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, but we later got married. Um, so now I'm here. Congratulations with- on getting married, man. Thank you, thank you. So we're actually celebrating our two-year anniversary now. So, yeah, shout out to Andrea Delasford. And you, and you have a little a little girl now too. Oh, we have a little uh, a son, Elias. I'm sorry, Elias Cornelius Delasford. So yes. So so tell us about your experience when you arrived to New York. How did you get started? Well, um, you already had contacts. It sounds like. Yeah, you know, I I, I would have to say decision to come and spend my spring break up here <laughs> was the best decision that I've ever made because uh, um, it was tough. I mean, you know, you don't have any... Well, my first week I had a... I, had a, a, I played at Smalls with Lawrence Leathers. Because um, we recorded with Patrick Turbrek maybe a few months before and I, and I remember calling him saying that I would be in New York so he was like, well, I got a gig for you. It's my first Friday which was turned out to be great. I had a great time. Um... I was nervous, you know. I don't think many people knew that, but it was just like my first actual gig. Um, well, because that wasn't really my first gig in New York, but it was my first gig living in New York there. And um, it, it was a great gig, but the the first year is definitely one of your toughest years because you're, you know, you're going to all the sessions every night. You're making friends. You got to remember all those people that, that you're meeting. And, and then if, you know, they enjoy enough, Cats will call you to do sessions over their own, like during the day over their house, you know, because that's someone really liking you want to have. Let's play together tomorrow at 2 p.m. over my house, you know. So you're getting together, you're doing those. Uh, eventually, the gigs start coming along, start getting calls. Um, uh, but that same year, I, I released Freedom Riders, uh, my album. So I knew I spent uh, a good portion of the year on the road, which was great, but. As soon as you come back in New York, you have to go ahead and do that whole process again of letting everybody know that you that you're here. Um, giving me a call, I would love to play. But the <clears throat> spending those spring breaks in New York definitely helped. Where I had a lot of friends that I came up with, a, a lot of friends that I know now that I came to New York with during the same time. They were having a lot more trouble. Uh, they were having a harder time getting work compared to. Uh, me because they didn't know as many people as I knew. Uh, yeah, those spring breaks really helped, but it was tough, you know, but you got to stick in there. If you want to, one of the keys to making it in New York is just surviving. 
If you can be statistically, if you can stay here, if you can live here, then you will work. But that's a lot harder than it, it sounds. I see. Now, give me an idea, man. I don't know. I guess I could get on Google, but I got you right here. So, like, yeah. what, what's an apartment cost right right now in the, in, in the city? Uh, well, I am on the Upper West Side uh, in, in Harlem. Um, one block over there, I mean, there's an apartment for, like, $3,200 or $2,300. I think 32 for a three-bedroom bathroom it's more like a two-bedroom and small closet i don't know wow oh my goodness gracious yeah it's 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 getting up there and it's 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 not going down i mean there's parts in brooklyn uh that are you know prices are coming up so okay so that that helps put it things into perspective a little bit better i want to ask you have you ever had a dream come true moment in your career where something actually happened that you imagined Maybe in your childhood, you thought about something. Oh, it'd be great if I could do that one day, and then you actually I, lived it out. Yeah, um, there's been a when when I started buying albums. Um, when, when I was in high school, I really just started like investing in in jazz albums, and and I would buy these albums. You know, be like live at the Blue Note, live at the Standard, live at the Vanguard, live at Yoshi's. Um, one of one of my happiest moments when. I was able to put those club dates on my calendar to play at Yoshi's for the first time, uh, Blue Note for the first time. Um, you know, from like a dream when I was a I was a kid um, that I got accomplished um, to get my own residency at a jazz club with my own group. You know, those are huge accomplishments that I was really really proud of. Then the the, the older I got, and you know, I would see. Some of the other musicians that, like some more of the R&B and, and the soul artists, you know, I would say, oh, man, I can't wait to play with that person. Uh, being able to play with T-Pain and being able to play to, to do a session with uh, Lauren Hill, you know. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to do a session with Lauren Hill, you know. That, that's, that moment right there, I was just like, whoa, this is Lauren Hill. She has a guitar and she is singing <laughs> right in front of me. So I want to ask you a question about, about that in a moment about Lauryn Hill, because you told us something, you told me something before we started recording, and I thought it was pretty funny. But first, answer this. How do you think your, how do you think your dream was able to come true? What, was there something specific that, that you had to do to make it happen? I really think it's, it's just the, the, the lessons that my, my parents instilled in me. You know, um, I'm, I'm a huge family type of, of, of person, you know. Um, my dad, all the things that my my dad is always really just always at the end of the day, you know, you know, if, if dad can do this and dad can accomplish this, I can do this. Um, it's just that drive that he has, you know. I mean, to see my parents come from another country and and come in here and have a better life and have their kids here, buy a house, raise kids, and and have them go to college, you know, that's that's always been in my mind as far as whenever I want to accomplish something. It's like, man, I can do this because. You know, my dad already proved that anything is possible. Anything is possible. Um, you just simply have to want it, you know, and you can make it happen. So, yeah, to be quite honest with you, like, my, my parents are, like, my, my inspiration to, to keep pushing. Yeah, I'll have to say family. That's, that's going to be the quote of the episode. Anything is possible. Anything is possible, yeah. I like that quote. And matter of fact, I have a scripture to go with it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to quote the scripture 
at the end of this episode in my wrap-up so everybody can hear that because I just read something again just two days ago, Second Peter. Second yeah. Peter, Second Peter, first chapter, second verse. I'm going to read it at the end of this episode. I think it's perfect for what we're talking about right now. So tell us, tell us this Lauren Hill story. How how did you end up playing with Lauren Hill? Answer that first. How how did that happen? So um, I I come back to Miami for the uh, a festival with Melton Mustafa Senior, and basically it was like the old gang got back together. It was like me, Leo Brooks, um, Andrew Atkinson, um, and those guys. Uh, they were at uh, Highly and Miami Lakes while I was at Northwestern. But I would only get to see these guys during solos and ensembles, so with the jazz band. And um, so I come back to Miami, we're doing this trio uh, hit with, with uh, Milton Mustafa's festival. And, you know, I haven't seen Leo in years. And I'm like, how you been? He's like, oh, man, he's been good. He's been in Egypt. He got married. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful, man. I said, like, what are you doing now? Well, I'm doing this, this, you know, these hits with Lauren Hill. You know, my jaw dropped like, I said, listen, man, if Lauren Hill's piano player breaks his hands or gets sick, whatever reason, Give me a call. So uh, later that night, maybe around 11.30 p.m., uh, I get a phone call. And it's like, hey, this is Lauren Hill. You know, and I almost hang up the phone because I thought it was Leo trying to, like, mess with me. But it was from an unknown number. It's like, this is Lauren Hill. Uh, Leo gave me your number. Can you make it down to, like, Sunset, you know, uh, it was like Sunset Boulevard or Avenue? 30 minutes south from where I was staying. Um, can you be here in 30 minutes? Oh, and, I, and I was like, what? So I remember just like grabbing my clothes, put my pants on. I told my mom, I said, I'll be back in, I'll be right back. And I just jumped in the car and I, I drove uh, 30 minutes. Uh, I'm glad I didn't get a ticket and I made it there safely. But I was, I was truly speeding and I made it there in 30 minutes. But uh, she rented this mansion or she bought this mansion in this neighborhood where there's nothing but mansions. And she takes all the uh, uh, furniture out. She just strips it and makes it into a huge studio. And you know, and I'm, 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 I take a turn on this, this, the street that she's on, but like it seems like none of the street lights are on. And while I'm driving, she's crossing the street, but she also just cut her hair off. So, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought it was, I thought it was just a crackhead crossing the street. And I was like, and I literally almost hit her with the car. And I remember just turning like, oh, what are you doing? You don't just cross the street like that. And I turned in the mansion, and she comes walking in, like maybe two minutes. After I almost hit her with the car, and she was like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Lauren." And I was like, "Wow." Oh my goodness, how embarrassing! <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, was she upset with you? Did she hold a grudge, or how did that turn out? I don't think she knew I was the driver. Okay, lucky you. <laughs> I don't think she knew because the exchange when I almost hit her wasn't a very pleasant exchange. So, <laughs> like that whole moment was just not a pretty moment. And I remember just being upset, like, who would just cross the street like that? And and it was actually her. But she just literally just, like, cut her hair off. So it was a little bit, it wasn't like a neat cut. It's like someone just took scissors and just chirp, 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 you know. So it was just, wasn't really even. And I was like, man, who just crosses the street like that? But at the end of the whole, at the end of the day, I do blame the street lights not being on. It was just completely pitch, like, dark. So how long, how long did you work with her? Was it a one-time one club hit, or did you do yeah. a tour? How, how did that go? It, it was just a one-time session. Um, she was recording, like, an acoustic album that she never released. Um, but she played me some of the stuff and what she was working on. And I thought it was just absolutely genius. Acoustic piano, acoustic guitar she's singing. It's all acoustic, upright. 
it was it was a beautiful project, it, and I've always like looked out for it to see if she ever released it, and I've never heard anything about it. So I mean, you know, who knows? It might be something that's released ten years from now, but it it was truly a, a great pleasure. She's amazing musician, amazing singer. I mean, because Lauren Hill, we all know, is a great singer, but once you like sit in front of her and you hear her do it and pull up the guitars, it's like wow. But that that was that was uh, an amazing experience. I'm gonna write a blog post about high profile gigs versus the the everyday common job that musicians get. Yeah. Because I think people need to know. Just I think people just need to know. So yeah. tell I want you since I have you here talk to us about that. What are, what are the similarities and differences, or what do you think is important for people to know about high profile jobs like like you had in this case? Versus, you know, playing your, your your standard weekly job. I truly believe uh, the greatness of a gig or a show is how you view it. But the thing the thing about like the high profile shows and gigs, they may be like thirty minutes long and pay like five thousand dollars, and you know, and then you'd be like, wow, I can't believe you were paying me this much for this little work. But those those type of gigs, you know, it's it's more about it's not about what you know or or who you know is about, you know, who knows you. And it's not about how well you can play. It's more about your professionalism. Because the more professional you are, the more people will spend on you. But those gigs are always fun, great experiences. But there there are some gigs that, that I've experienced that may not pay nowhere near as much as those, but I would truly love and enjoy more. And I, I guess it's just the environment who you're playing with. Because not every not every high-profile gig is a, is a great gig. The, the high-profiles are great experiences. Um, they're definitely life lessons, whether they may be a great experience or maybe a not-so-great experience. So, Will, you've really helped us today by sharing your stories, and it's about time to wrap things up. I'm going to yeah. have one more question for you. Behind the Note podcast is about giving advice toward a successful music career, and you definitely have done that up to this point. I just want to ask you, is there any last piece of parting advice that you'd like to leave for us? With this career, we don't we don't have the the pleasure of retiring or um, or many vacations or whatnot. You know, this is what you do. It's it's your life. In order for your music to grow, you have to live life. Life without music, without life, live is just I don't know. It's just a bunch of notes. You know, so live life. Keep working hard. Whenever you feel like it's time for you to quit, that just means you're really, really close to something successful and something big. Um, that's a lesson I learned at a very early age in life. I learned that in PE. As weird as that sound, but um, uh, so just keep fighting. You know, keep pushing hard. If you're going through some hard times, just just know that you're not the only person that's going through it. A lot of people have done it, uh, have succeeded with those hard times. So just keep pushing, and yeah, just. Give it, give it your all. At the end of the day, you just, you know, you can always say that you gave it your all. So just keep pushing. Thank you so much, Will. That's solid advice, and we're going to apply that even today. So I'm glad to have you today. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Note podcast, Will. My pleasure, man. It was just truly my pleasure. And that was our talk with Will Dellisport. I really enjoyed that conversation today. I actually learned some new things about Will that I didn't know. And I want to point out a few things right here, right now. Number one, Will had a focus since his elementary school days. He knew that he wanted to become a professional musician since elementary school. That was pretty impressive because 
there are too many of us that know what we want to do that young and then stick to it and work toward it continuously day in and day out into adulthood that's the first thing that's that stood out to me secondly because he had that focus he knew where he had to go he knew the environment that he needed to be a part of and in college he went to new york for spring break instead of going to the beaches and, and partying and he made new friends he made new contacts and then when the time was right for him he physically made the move and things were a little easier for him because he had put in his due diligence he put in work up front so for him when it was time to go ahead and cash in so to speak things were already in place and I, I i use that term cash in because when i was studying with a certain teacher of my past he used the analogy of of putting money in a bank so that in the future when you're ready to make a withdrawal you have something to pull from if you don't put anything in you don't get anything out so you have to invest in your future and there are a number of ways to do that but one certainly is by putting time and effort into the lives of other people and really we're in the we're in a place of giving and when you're in a place of giving somehow your needs will be met so when you put others first you're taken care of you don't have to worry about certain things so i really thank you will for taking your time today and sharing with us what a great talk we had with you today and I want to say thanks to you for pressing play once again. We're going to call it quits for now. And I'll talk to you in episode number 16. Take it easy. Have a great day. Hey there, you still here? Okay, I got something for you. I didn't forget about the scripture. Will talked about anything being possible. Here's something I've been meditating on for a few days now. Second Peter, first chapter, third verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. There's more to it. But if you want to know, go ahead and check it out for yourself. Catch you guys in the next episode. Have a great day.